Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Dine. Yo. And Mary Korea. Hey guys. Today's topic horror. Alright, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Writer Dojo. We're super excited to be here today, and we want to wish you all specifically a very, very happy Halloween. Yeah, this is our first specific holiday episode. I think when we when we go into when you watch all the sitcoms and stuff in all of the all the shows, the big thing that people seem to be doing all the time now. I, I think Buffy started this, but it's like the musical episode. Don't but, expect that from us. I was gonna say because we're doing a musical episode, that's just kill me now, man. I'm yeah, we'll terrible. we'll have we'll have Craig come in and do everything for us, and we'll just yeah. pretend it's us. Yeah, we'll get Craig for that. Craig's good at that. Uh, <laughs> now we suck. So this is gonna be our Treehouse of Horror episode. Ooh. Okay. All right. So. Now, I, both you and I really love horror. I know that you're a big B-movie horror guy. Like, that's like your, the national pastime for you. Absolutely. That's my favorite thing. I am a walking encyclopedia of low-budget horror movies. And, and on my side, I don't actually watch that many horror movies. You know, I, I, I'm a big Hitchcock fan, of course. I tend to go with the suspense type stuff. But I read horror like nothing else, and that's, that's what I love to write. Yeah, if you guys haven't guessed uh, yet, but our topic today is going to be writing horror. This is way more Steve's wheelhouse than mine. D- Steve does this better than I do. St- horror is his thing. I've done it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoy it. So I've written it a little bit. I've used it a little bit in my other stuff and in my other genres. But uh, predominantly, this is like, this is your bread and butter. This is like oh, yeah. your favorite thing. This is my favorite thing. And and. When we're at all of our shows and we're talking about things, the, the thing that I, I think that I am fairly well known for, I'm known for two things when it comes to horror. I talk about how horror is like bacon and how it makes everything better when you put it in it, right? Yeah, I agree. And I'm known amongst a few people for my story about sharks. All right, let's get to hear okay. the shark story. All right, shark story. Have I not told you this story? I don't know the shark story. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, Okay. So let me put some context out there. This is what horror is to me. Horror is kind of the, the sequential feelings of, or emotions of fear, dread, then shock. Kind of in that order. So keep that in mind as I, as I tell my story. Okay. All right, so let's talk about fear for a sec. There's, there's a thing in this world that I'm deathly afraid of. And it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter when I am. It doesn't matter if I'm in a bathtub or a swimming pool or a lake or the, the horrible, terrible ocean. Government audits. That too. But I don't think those have anything to do with bathtubs, hopefully. Uh, well, I mean, this is horror. I mean, we're getting kind of dark, but I can think of many ways in which I could use that. No, no, Larry. I mean, I mean, sharks. I don't do sharks, Larry. You're not a shark guy, huh? I don't do sharks. They're big and stupid and dumb, and they all want to eat us. <laughs> all right. So I'm this, learning something new, audience. So this I don't. Is, this I don't, is a new one on me. Yeah, I don't do sharks. So uh, back in back in Northern California, where both you and I grew up, there was a place called Marine World. Do you remember Marine yeah. World? Every, it was like the field trip destination for everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. Elementary school always went to right. So um, I, I think I realized how bad my fear of sharks was when uh, they had this new exhibit there. And they have this at a lot of the aquariums where it's like the tunnel that you walk in that's actually underwater. Yeah. And like everything's swimming all around you. 
and I was wigged out because there were sharks all around me. <laughs> on the other side of the armored glass? Yes. yes. Nice. On the other side of the glass, it's probably like thicker than most rooms. <laughs> right? Okay. I don't do sharks. Okay. There's, there was an internet meme I saw a little bit ago on Facebook, the only place where, you know, it's about the only redeeming quality of Facebook are some of the comedic memes. And it said, my childhood irrational fear, and it was a swimming pool, and there's just a shark in it. Like, that, that's me, Larry. This is my, this is my irrational fear. So, so just to be clear, in case you haven't realized it yet, I don't like sharks. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I'm terrified of them. So this is your fear and certainty and shock. Yes. So, so we're, we're getting there. Okay. okay. This is my fear. And, and in horror, most people use fear. They think of like fear of the dark, fear of the unknown, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, whatever. I don't care about those. I'm scared of sharks. Yeah. Because they are definitely a clear and present danger to me and my safety on land in Utah. 6,000 feet above sea level is where Correct. we're broadcasting from. Yes. I'm, I'm pretty sure some shark is just going to fly into this room at any moment in a Sharknado. <laughs> okay. I don't do sharks. Okay. So back in, gosh, what would this have been? This would have been, I think, 2008, uh, around Thanksgiving time. Uh, we go to Hawaii, me and my family. Surrounded by sharks. Surrounded by sharks. It's terrifying. So, uh, in fact, I mean, at any given moment, they're just going to pop up on land and chomp you to death. And if you didn't, you can't see it, but I make, anytime I say chomp, I make hand chompy, chompy. He, he literally is everybody. I'm, I'm. So we get there and my dad's like, my dad's not really scared of anything uh, except like jumpy outy stuff because he was a cop and no cops like jumpy outy stuff. But he's like, Hey Steve, we're, we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to do this shark cage encounter. So uh, I bought you a ticket and you're coming. And I was like, okay, well. Uh, this sounds like a terrible idea because <laughs> at any given moment, that shark is going to burst through the cage like Terry Crews and it's going to eat me. Right? So, <coughs> so we get out there. This is like my entire family. Okay. This is before my grandpa died. This is everybody was there. There was probably, geez, 20 of us on the boat. We get out there in the middle of the effing ocean and they throw the cage out into the water and it's one of those ones where there's no top on it, which adds another layer of they're going to eat me to death sort of thing. They're just going to hop right in and dive in and then, and then have a nice little, you know, Steve buffet. So we get out there, they throw the thing, the cage out there and they say, okay, well, there's too many of you. So we're going to have to push you out there like in groups and me being stupid at this point, I say, well, I'll just wait till the second group then not thinking Maybe I should just get this crap over with. So I wait. This was a poor decision. Increasing dread. Increasing dread. Because you see, fear is when it's just you're scared of something. Dread is when that fear is right there in front of you and it's happening and it's creeping up on you and it's about to strangle you to death, right? It's you, the situation is becoming real. It's not just a fear that you have. So I'm standing there watching this. And half my family's out there. I'm convinced that I'm going to lose the part of them that I don't like. And that's okay. So they're all out there. And the, the boat, the, one of the, the guys from the boat, from the, whatever the guys are called, the tour guides. I don't know if that's a, the shark guides. Boat, I don't know boat, if that's a thing. Boat dudes. So he gets on the back and he looks up at me and he's maybe six feet away from me. And he goes, Hey, watch this. 
So he takes this big old piece of chum out of the back of, out of this like cooler, you know, and he starts slapping the back of the water with it. All of a sudden, out of the water, this shark comes out like freaking jaws. Up, it's like half of its body is up on the back of the boat. And it's chomping at this thing. It's just chomping and chomping at this, at this stupid piece of chum. Its eyes are rolling back. Like, its jaw is coming out like 17 feet at me. Probably not that much, but it felt like that. It's chomping. I'm videoing this. And in my only reaction I have is to start laughing. We have this recording somewhere. Um, I, I have to, I'll have to find it. But from listening to it, it sounds like I'm going crazy. I mean, this is straight up Lovecraft, like, like the madness is coming into my brain. Because I see that shark. It's right there. It's chompy chomping and I'm going nuts. They pull everybody out of the, out of that cage and they're like, okay, your guys' turn. So I jump in. I decide to be a brave little toaster, Larry. I jump in. <laughs> I get in the water. I got my snorkel. What I didn't account for, um, is this, this thing called, uh, called refraction and how from above water, things that are under the water, especially when it's doing the wavies, it distorts how big things are. Mm -hmm. Significantly, it turns out. I get in the water and I, you know, I kind of, I take a breath and I put my face under the water just in time to see the shark go by. Like, I mean, it's like two feet in front of my face. I mean, I don't know if it was 100 feet long or 12. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. It's enormous. And it doesn't matter how small they tell you it is. It's, it's the kind of when you open it up, they find like a car bumper in it. And, of course. Yeah. And they say that these sharks are like super friendly and that people swim with them all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but what if, what if they decide that I look like a tasty snack? So this is a terrible idea. Now they only had one piece of advice when you, when you went, go down into the cage and that's resist the urge to reach out and pet the sharks as they go by. Okay. Seems like solid advice. This seems like wouldn't be hard for you. Right. I didn't have a problem with this. My dad, on the other hand, right next to me, ignores all these rules. My dad, the cop, ignores all these rules and reaches out. The first shark that goes by, I swear to you, he reaches out and he's like, oh, cute doggo. You know, he reaches out and he, and he, pets, this, he pets this shark. It doesn't do anything. Although I'm convinced that that shark was like, he's fine. But you, Steve, you do this. I'm going to chomp your arm off so hard, buddy. So Whatever. We're in there for a few minutes and I'm feeling a little bit better. You know, I'm sure my heart rate was like 305, but whatever. I was feeling okay. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to be even braver now. I'm going to face my fear. I'm going to face this. this. This dread ain't got nothing on me. I'm good to go. So I take a breath in the snorkel and I go underwater all the way. And I shimmy down on the bars of this cage thinking, because oh, I want to get like the big 360 view, right? I'm shimmying down. I'm shimmying down, I'm shimmying down, I'm shimmying down, and I'm shimmying down. I'm thinking, man, this cage is enormous. And I look down, and I realize that my feet missed the bottom bars. And they're outside the cage. And they're dangling like little, <laughs> like, like little Scooby snacks for these, for these sharks, right? So I scream underwater. I scream like no little girl has screamed in the entire world. 
little girls getting murdered in the Crusades had nothing on me. Okay? So I scream <laughs> my guts out <coughs> and I run vertically in the water. Not slow motion, Larry. No, no, no. No, torpedoes don't got crap on me. I'm up. I'm going up. I'm going up. And I get up to the top and I'm holding on to the bars for dear life. I'm shaking underwater. My heart rate's like 1105. I don't know. And I'm up there and I look over and my dad's just looking at me and he's just laughing at me like it's the best thing he's seen all week. And it probably was. He still laughs about it to this day. <laughs> so what does this mean? What does this what does this story illustrate, Larry? It means we're Fear? not we're not going to the beach anytime soon. Apparently, definitely not. No, I think we're gonna. I think I think if we ever go on the on the road, we're just gonna go hit that metal show in like Prague. There's no water there. <laughs> it's right? a landlocked country. I mean, I'm not discounting shark presence in a landlocked country, but you know, whatever. So remember what I said at the beginning. The whole point of horror is fear, dread, shock, and I use this story. At the time, it didn't seem like I was, you know, the living embodiment of a of a of an example of of a horror of horror, but I totally was apparently, and it, and it's a great teachable moment. One, sharks are bad and evil; don't touch them. Two, shark cages; they don't have a floor. Sharks like to eat little toes that are coming out. I'm sure, but it illustrates really well part of the reason why I actually really love horror, and that's because. All these feelings that we feel, you know, the fear of something that for me is sharks, right? For someone else, it could be the dark. For, for someone else, it could be manatees. I don't know. They're glorious creatures, probably. No, no one fears the manatees. So, you know. Respect the manatee. There's so many different things, right? So the question is for you, for all you listeners out there, it's what is that thing that you fear? Be honest with yourself. What is that thing you fear? whether rationally or irrationally. And then what would happen? How would, you, how would you start feeling if you were placed into that situation where that fear is no longer something off in the distance, but it's something that is right there and immediate to you? And then what would happen if it were shoved straight in your face and you had to deal with it? What's the shock that comes with that? So when we come back, Larry and I are gonna talk a little bit about more about horror stories, how to put these kind of things in, in, into your stories, these elements of horror, so to speak. And hopefully I'll forget about how scared I am of sharks for a few minutes. So, yeah, we'll be right back. Okie dokie, everybody. Welcome back. In case you're curious, I did not get eaten by a shark in between, you know, during the break. It was a close thing, though. I mean, I was really worried for a second. There was one in the bathroom sink when we walked out. You got to uh, watch out for yeah, that crap. you got to watch out for that. Uh, so uh, Steve is introducing his concept of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, no, was, I'm sorry. Fear, dread, and shock. Fear, dread. <laughs> I was using FUD. FUD is when you, uh, FUD is other things. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like I said, Steve's the expert on this one. Um no, but we're talking about how to use these elements in other genres and in your work. And if you're writing horror, uh, you know, how to get these things there. I've not done as much horror as Steve has, but I've done a few short stories. Um, one was a straight up Lovecraftian kind of thing. So I took every weird, creepy image I had from every nightmare or bad dream I could think of. And I crammed it all into one science fiction story. 
And uh, that went really well. And then I had another one where uh, the the fear in that one was a father losing his daughter. That was the one you wrote for me, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, um, that was in that Shared Nightmares anthology. Father's Day for yeah. Shared Nightmares. That's that, still one of my favorite short pieces by you. That one came out really good, but that one I was picking on a fear that all parents can relate to. Yep. And I... I just kind of prayed on that, and I didn't. I didn't think about your your elements there, but uh, I definitely use those. Yeah. Uh, there's been other times where you know, primarily like Monster Hunter, you think it's like horror movie type tropes and uh, monsters and that kind of thing, and evil forces of darkness. But I don't necessarily write horror because the characters are too proficient, uh, so they don't really get scared. They just kind of take action. Yeah. So there are times where I use that fear and that, uh, you know, and I, I get that dread in there. Uh, if you remember the first Monster Hunter, I had the Humboldt folk, who were like the creepy mutant swamp people. Yeah. Never explain it. I just leave it out there, a hanging, dangling threat. And I've gotten more questions about those characters than probably dang near any other monster I've ever used in a book. Just because they are so dang creepy. And I very specifically have never explained them anywhere else because it w- if they were explained, it would ruin the uncertainty. Yeah. And then there would just be a thing that you could deal with. Mm-hmm. I like getting those little elements of terror, you know, of fear and squeezing them into things. You know, I think what it does is... And I always tell people this, that it, it kind of ups the ante. It, it, it increases the stakes of any story that you're telling. When you're adding these, uh, whether whether primal fears that we talk about or, or more specific fears, and then the the results of of bringing those fears into the reality of the characters that you're that you're writing. I, I think of of, of any uh, of any horror movie. Um, you saw Get Out, right? I haven't seen Get you Out. Seen Get Out? No, I I primarily watch the low budget stuff, like like horror movies that cost money mm-hmm. and have real actors. I'm like, eh. Okay, so Color Out of Space. I know you watched that one. Oh, Nicolas I love that one. Well, because right? it's Nicolas Cage being full Nicolas Cage. Right. I love that movie. I thought it was great. Now there there's some obvious things in there that that he's scared of and that the characters are scared of, and 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 of course the nature of where they're at, kind of that isolation that they're feeling. Those are some of the more baser fears. The interesting thing is that. I don't want you guys out there to think that that just because we're talking about this in terms of horror, that that's the only place that that makes sense. I mean, shoot, uh, one of the books that I that I talk about all the time is the Elfstones of Shannara. You know, I think we we talked about this. Oh, how it would, it's almost a horror novel if you were yeah. to frame it slightly different. Yeah, and and there's elements in it that are straight up horror, like no like no argument. Yeah. Right, the Reaper creature. That's yeah, the Reaper creature people. that's stalking a bunch of elves and murdering them to death. Yeah. Like, yeah, totally a horror element. You know, I mean, it's it's straight up a straight up an '80s slasher movie trope. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like Larry and I always say, don't don't think of this. Don't think of horror and these elements in horror, this fear, this dread, this shock, as something that that you say. Oh well, you know, when I write a horror story, I'll I'll implement that. Think of it as just another tool in your tool belt. Yeah, like, well, uh, shock. Um, horrific bodily things. Like, like, like even if you're writing action, uh, if and that you get that element of shock where you really hurt a character in an interesting way, mm-hmm. uh, that's that element of shock. It's that, that's that uh, you know, when you squish the dude all of a sudden or the main character, you know, loses a limb, you know, or whatever it is out of nowhere... I feel, like, I feel like we just wrote a bunch of these scenes. We, <laughs> yeah, well, we actually had role-playing game yesterday or day before yesterday. We have some 
pretty pretty shocking moments of mm-hmm. violence there. But we won't get it. That, we'll do an RPG episode another oh, yeah. time. <laughs> I think I think one of the interesting things that people need to to know, and I and I, and you alluded to this yourself that you don't consider yourself a horror author, right? Not really. I mean, I've done a little. I've dabbled. And yet, Monster Hunter Guardian. Yeah, there's some. There's there, there's some there's some fear and dread and stuff in there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 I think that pretty much any story that you look at, I I think that if we if we boil it down, we can identify those elements in every in any story that we look at. Yeah. Okay. One of the way way I used to I like to look at it is what separates an action like an urban fantasy action monster novel from horror is usually the capability of the protagonist, and it goes back to what you said about the fear. If you're dealing with people who aren't afraid because this is their job and they're trained and they're prepared. And you're, and the reader is experiencing it through their perspective. It's not going to feel like horror. It's going to feel like action adventure. But if you take those characters beyond their capabilities and you push them into uh, new realms of uncertainty and uh, dread, then all of a sudden it is horror again because you've moved past that. So aliens. Oh yeah, aliens are really interesting because like uh, that's a great example. It's colonial marines, a bunch of bad man pajamas. Well, and they even talk about in it. Um, in the in the intro scene when they're when they're all we going got down nukes, the road, oh, yeah, we got we've sharpened done crap, sticks, we've done everything we got. <laughs> we've we've dealt with stuff before. You know, they allude to oh, yeah. they allude to them having gone on a bug hunt. Yeah, before they're super cocky. They they're a bunch of bad mamba jamba tough dudes. Bill Paxton's going off. Mm-hmm. Great sequence, um, and then fifteen minutes later, yeah, it's they get wrecked, and it turns into a horror movie. Well, mm-hmm. the first one's really a horror movie. The second one's kind of an action movie still, but it does have, once again, it does have elements many of horror. aspects of horror. Uh, and did a fantastic job because it raised the stakes because Ripley, Ripley's got the mom thing going on for Newt, you know? Well, and she just lost her daughter, yep. right? Of old age, of which old is age even worse. Because she was, you know, busy stuck in cryo for 80 years. Yeah, fantastic. And so that's a great example of a movie that is an action flick that definitely uses those horror mm-hmm. elements really super good. And it's all because they weren't allowed to have ammo for their pulse rifles. And they're rocking flamethrowers. Mm-hmm. But there you go. Well, and then even and then later on, it does a really interesting thing. One, there's, a, there's a super, I don't know, I, uh, a trope, I guess I want to say, in horror. And that's scarcity. That scarcity is scary. And one of the things that happens in there is, um, you remember towards the end when they set up the, uh, the little target, the, the gun drone things? Mm-hmm. The machine gun drones. When it's put them out there, it's got the gun counter, the ammo counter, and, and they pop up. You don't even see the monster at this point, although you already know what they look like, right? And um, that they zoom in on the camera, or the camera zooms in on where the, the the ammo count's going down, like you say. And not only is it going down, it's going down absurdly fast. Yeah, it's just going down and going down and going down, and then it stops. It's like a five thousand round drum, I think. And it stops at like 400. No, it was like 500 and they get down to like seven. Yeah, something like something that. Something like that, yeah. But it, and it happens, the scene is like 20 seconds. That's fantastic. Great scene though. And they all kind of look at each other and they're looking at the, you know, they look at each other. They look down at the screen. They can't hardly believe what's happening. They're terrified because again, these are colonial Marines. Yeah. They've shot and killed everything. They probably have the trophies on their walls for it. When you think about and it. And they're terrified. When you talk about the shock too. Uh, so that's a dread moment. The shock is when like you get in this, you know, they start showing these things off. The whole, you know, Geiger 
Geiger design, super creepy. It's shocking. It's funny because like I, I watch a lot of like really cheap horror movies, and so I see a lot of horror movie advertisements and mm-hmm. trailers and whatnot, and you always see shocking, lurid. Yeah, you know. And it's like, oh, we, we we killed a member of the audience from fear, you know. <laughs> they, it's uh, it's a very basic human thing to to you know love that stuff and be like, whoa, that's awesome, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I think writing it's the same exact basic principles, only you know um, we don't have low budget uh, we don't have low budget special effects, so we're not limited to a dude wearing a trash bag. <laughs> You know, right. we can, we can do whatever we want. Um, how are, I think one of the things is, uh, is, is how to do this right is the rate in which you give information in order to keep that uncertainty up and to keep that dread up. That's another thing too, like Monster Hunter, once again, not being horror, being more actiony, like straight up, we'll have briefings beforehand where they, the characters know what they're getting into. That's not going to be scary. If if I if I drop too much info, then then it's not scary anymore. But if you parse that info out slower to the reader, not so slow, you make them angry though. Or um, bored or bored. Forbid. Yeah, that's all. Bored is the ultimate kiss of death in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, or, or, or uh, horror. This is movie, horror story. It's all the same. Something that something that a trap that people fall into, and this is a low budget thing, but also I've seen this in books. There's this. Uh, thing it's a trope I don't know what it's called but it's in movies where in the first couple of minutes of the movie they introduce a small group of characters or one or two characters at the very beginning and then immediately they get killed by whatever the monster oh, is the, the prologue the prologue basically to yeah. establish the threat yeah, of, the, I mean, of the beast yeah I mean the show Supernatural basically made 15 seasons off that trope <laughs> yeah exactly and then, the, and then the real characters come in and deal with mm-hmm. one of the problems and that's a super common thing and I've seen books do that and it made it work uh, I've seen books do that where it was awful uh, because remember when people are reading this for so many pages uh, you know they want to get invested in the real characters and the real story so don't drag that out too long yeah. I did that on purpose in the novel Monster Hunter Alpha because it was specifically a werewolf thing so that's right yeah so I introduced the sheriff's deputy yeah. goes out gets eaten by a werewolf but I also brought that back in repeatedly in the rest of the story uh, you know specifically for that well and I did something similar in residue um, I, I think you remember I wrote I wrote that opening scene twice that opening twice. I, I, re- I read it the first time and um, it was from the monster's point of view. Uh, and it it was fine, but it didn't go well. Yeah. And, and your reaction told me everything I need to know. You were kind of like, eh, it's fine. And I, and I believe you actually used the same example to me when you gave me feedback on that. And so I turned around and I, and I rewrote it. And I rewrote the prologue from, from the character Alex's point of view. She's hunting down. She's she's coming across the aftermath of one of these monsters that's escaped. Yeah. And what that did, um, I kind of got, I felt like I kind of got the best of both worlds there. I got to have the, oh, crazy monsters did crazy things. But it was related to one of the main characters. So so those weren't wasted pages. No, they weren't wasted. I, I, I had one, and I won't, I won't name the author, good guy, but I was working on a project with this guy a long time ago, and we, he came up with an outline. And, uh, and, and I was just kind of reviewing his outline and he did that, but, but it was a very in-depth prologue of a bunch of characters that we would never, ever, ever see again and how they all, each one died horribly and writing terms, it would have took about 30 pages. 
That's a long time, one for a prologue. Yeah, that's mm. a big, well, it's a big chunk of book for a bunch of people that did not matter. And it was all just to establish the fact that the monsters were terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's great that you establish the monsters are terrifying because you raise those stakes and create that fear and dread. But that's a big chunk of time for that reader to invest in people who don't ultimately matter. Yeah. The other one, the, the thing that I hate too is people mistake uh, in horror... And this is just a shoddy writing thing, because this is true for all genres, not just horror, but the thing where they mistake bickering for character development. Yeah. Where, you know, you get a group of people in a horror thing, and they're just, their job is to die horribly and get picked yeah. off. But they bicker, and they fight, and, and, the, and the people think that... But that just makes them unlikable. So if you really want to raise the stakes in horror, is you make the readers like the people oh, absolutely. that you're putting in danger. When we talk about aliens, yeah, they bicker and fight, but it's like this cool Marine Corps bad man bajamba bicker. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of depth there to those well, characters. And frankly, that's why so many people are angry about Alien 3. Cause because they, yeah. cause they kill off one of the Marines that you adore. By oh, yeah, the end Hicks, of Hicks and Neuter just dead right yeah, at the beginning. It's yeah, like, what's the point? They die in the crash. Yeah. Horribly. And it's apparently. like, what? Because actually Alien 3 is not a bad movie, except no, for that setup. Except is that part is bad. It is a kick in the face, and it's a betrayal to, mm-hmm. to everybody. So a huge part of horror is stakes. If I care about the characters, them being in danger matters more. I've seen this. It's an amateur writer thing where writers get all like, well, I killed this many characters. So I, I killed the whole world. I killed 100,000 people. Eh. I can kill a dog in a book and make people mad at me 10 years later. Still, well, you know, and, it's in a, in a, in beyond that, even it's the idea that death is the worst thing that can happen in oh, a gosh, horror story. Horror, no, in a horror story, death is the easy way out. Yeah. That gets back to that shocking thing. Mm-hmm. There's depending on the nature of the story you're telling, there's many, many, many fates in horror worse than death. Okay, the thing. Oh, The Thing is one of the greatest. You and I both love that movie. Love that movie. It holds up okay. so good. It holds up. It, it's mean, still it scary. Up. There's the scene, speaking of things worse than death, right? Mis- you know, crazy monster thingy parasite, whatever he from outer space comes down. Um, and first of all, you feel bad for the husky in the beginning because he, yeah. he dies horribly. Poor husky. But then later on, there's the scene where it has infected one of the guys and they have him on the table and then its head like melts mm-hmm. off and goes backwards and grows the spider and legs it turns over and grows spider legs and, yep. and scrawls and away the eyeballs climb up out of it on eye stalks so <laughs> so, so I, bad so i i remember seeing that scene and thinking i, I don't know that there's anything worse you could have done to that guy oh it that's horrific he it, it, it's not the death it's the violation of that person's like body and, uh, you know, soul for, for those of you that believe that, um, you know, that, that intense violation, it's like, yeah, this monster didn't just kill you. It used you as a sock puppet. It was, it's worse than everything. Yeah. If you have not seen that movie, see that movie. That movie is like, oh <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. Now, the interesting thing about that is that, that movie, it not only, uh, I don't want to say it violates the rules because I don't, I don't believe in rules when it comes to no, horror. No, no, um, I think- Well, it definitely gets that, it, it really ups the dread. Oh, for sure. Oh my gosh, it ups the dread. Well, and the paranoia. Oh that yeah, paranoia that's aspect super paranoia. Is, is what eats it, at you. Any one of those, any horror movie where you don't know who the infected or mm-hmm. the monster is. Well, and that trope has been used 
a hundred different ways. I mean, it was used in the X-Files, right? Yeah. That's the episode that gets most people to enjoy the X-Files, the episode Ice. I think it's like episode four or six of season one. It's been way too long for me to you know. remember. Yeah. So, so many people get so uh, invested in the idea that you can't ever like show the monster or give too much information. And in general, I, 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 I agree. But it's not like the thing doesn't break all that. Yeah. Because you see the monster within the first 10 minutes of the movie. Well, when, when all the tendrils but start shooting see, out of the husky. You see part of the, the yeah. monster. And the thing that's scary about that monster is you never know. You don't know what it's going to do. Every time you think you understand it, the human turns into a giant mouth thing that eats another guy. Yeah, when you he went know, to do artificial chest compressions and just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, and again, that lends to the, there's this constant dread that they're all that they're all having and then moments of shock that increase every single beat that they that they go off yeah and also pretty quickly you get a pretty basic gauge of the characters mm-hmm. uh i mean they're, they're not like this, this is not an in-depth character study movie but you know these guys good enough mm-hmm. as it goes on that you actually do care oh yeah you know and kurt russell's amazing kurt russell is amazing yeah now if you want to see some good books of this, examples of, of stories that do these things that Larry and I are talking about, and, and look, uh, rest assured, you know, we're running out of time here. We're basically out of time, but it's not like this is the only time we're going to talk about horror in the genres and the, in the pieces that are within horror. No, we just hurried into too much. We just hurried into this because Halloween was Halloween is upon us. And, and I was desperate to share with you all my deepest, darkest fears about sharks. Someday we'll tell these guys about Tracks Blood Trail. Tracks Blood Trail. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even tell you how triggered I was, Larry. That whole <laughs> session. Um, so there's, there's a few books that I want to recommend to people out there. One of which is called Necroscope by Brian Lumley. Uh, I think I cited that towards the beginning of, in one of our episodes. Yeah. As one of the big inspirations for me as a writer. Very, very popular series. Super popular series. Basically a piece of, I don't know, Cthulhu falls from the sky and as a parasite and like turns people into vampires and horrible stuff happens. Great. Great story. I also really, really, really like uh, Swan Song by Robert McCammon. Swan Song is basically the stand, but like with an ending that makes sense and with characters who are actually, you actually care about. Because my biggest complaint about the stand is I don't give a crap about any of those characters. They're all jerks. I haven't read it in since... Uh, okay, I'm going to out myself here. I haven't read that book since high school. Yeah. I read it in high school and I that was good. It's it's infuriating. Well, I, I remember how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so those those two books right there are some of the big ones. And then, of course, Matheson, I Am Legend. My favorite piece of short fiction of all time. And a story that has been redone over and over and over, over again. Over and over again, poorly. Well, and the reason they keep doing it is because it's a great idea. It is. It's a wonderful idea. There is no shortage of good horror stories out there. If I had to recommend one from each of us, um, I would say uh, my favorite basic straight-up horror story of yours is Father's Day. I'm a little biased. I, th- I personally think that's, that's well, one of your best the short stories. Yeah, well, you were the editor on that one. Yeah. Um, that one's in uh, 
shared nightmares, but I believe you put it in. It's which, in the is it target, one or two? target rich uh, environment number one. Okay, so it's in the first target rich environment. For me, uh, I have quite a few short stories. One of my favorite ones is the one I pitched that's um, Pacific Rim meets single white female. So think about that one in your head for a sec. So uh, I have, I believe in January, um, I've been told, I have an anthology coming out of a lot of my short stories. They're all horror because I can't help myself. Steve could write my little phony fan fiction. It would turn into horror. That's just, just so you guys know. He can't Challenge help it. accepted. He can't help it. It really is impossible. Strawberry shortcake would just murder people. I mean, it's just how Steve rolls. And in, in fact, just yet, just uh, Saturday, Larry, I uh, I audio recorded two of the stories in that anthology. Oh, cool! Very yeah, cool. So I read them. So we'll see. One is uh, one is about a evil baby monitor, and then the other one's about dudes in the woods after Vietnam. So cool. All of them are very. I mean, it's horror because I do horror. So anyway. That's it. Thank you for sticking with us uh, today for our slightly longer episode. We'll hit. We'll touch this again. We'll probably talk about you know suspense as an element and you know straight up anything else that you can think of when it comes to horror. And if you guys have any or need any recommendations about horror stuff, whether it's the B movies that, that, that Larry adores so much or the you know the stories that I that I love to read, shoot us those questions. So again, this is the Writer Dojo. Thank you all very much. Take it easy. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Baron Hare Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries, by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday, wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo by leaving us a five-star rating or review, and by helping to spread the word. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Government audits. They're big and stupid and dumb, and they all want to eat us. (laughs) 